Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to episode 168 of Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Russ. I'm the host K5TUX, and we also have with us tonight Cheryl. Hello, everyone. Wow, she was on the ball too. Yep. <laughs> Great, and we also have with us uh, Rich KD0RG. Oh, wait a minute. No, we don't. <laughs> I heard a chuckle. <laughs> All right, we have instead, we have Bill, November Echo 4, Romeo Delta. How's it going, Bill? Very good. How's everyone doing? Well, they're not going to answer you, but... <laughs> I know, I know. At least We're you guys great. are doing They'll, they'll probably yeah. answer you in feedback. We'll find out. <laughs> yes, feedback. Send feedback. Yes, you're going to have to send feedback after this episode, because as you may have noticed already, uh, Rich, our uh, very brief co-host, is now gone. Gone. <laughs> And uh, to be replaced, at least for one episode, we'll see if it goes any further than this, by Bill. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> so much to look forward to. Right. Trial yeah. by fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow very... you're going to get an email going, nope, not doing it again. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> So we will we will soldier on. We're we're not going to go into the the whole rich thing. Maybe maybe that will come up in a future episode. But for for right now, we're just gonna we're gonna do episode number one sixty eight like nothing has changed. Well, I'm going to hit this this first topic in our amateur radio segment for the evening, and it's a flash topic. And again, um, one of these days, I'll come up with a stinger for that. But so far, nothing. Uh, ham radio enthusiast Holly Bevan turned one hundred. This was actually. Uh, Three or four weeks ago now, but you know, still kind of news. If you're a hundred, a hundred and three weeks is not really that much different. So, it's uh, very impressive too. It yeah. is rather impressive too. I hope I ever, I hope I get to that at some point. Uh, I'm thinking no, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe if I drink enough, I'll be petrified. That'll that'll work. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work for my brain. It'll preserve you, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I need All to those start preservatives. Mm. <laughs> I need to start drinking formaldehyde. Okay, so Margaret Holly Bevan is on the air every weekday morning by six a.m. She covers it all: weather, traffic reports, everything except politics and religion. Aww. Bevan N3MB celebrated her 100th birthday last week, and she doesn't intend to hang up on her microphone anytime soon. She got a radio license to talk with her son in the Navy and joined the Anne Arundel Amateur Radio Club when very few women were involved in ham radio. So there's that. 100-year-old ham. Gotta love it. Uh, it looked like she was active on CW2 back in the day. I'm sure she probably was, because that might have been the only way she really could have communicated with a, a son in the Navy. Yeah. So the link to that story, if you want to read more about it, is in the show notes. But again, I don't know how much more there really is about that. <laughs> we, we should all aspire to be 100-year-old hams. Yeah, for sure. All right, Bill, you're up. Oh, okay. We have a, a story here from uh, the FCC. There's a petition for rulemaking, RM11767. Uh, Expert Linears America had requested that the commission issue a notice of proposed rulemaking to eliminate the 15 dB gain limitation on uh, amplifiers for the amateur radio service. And uh, there's been a lot of activity on the QRZ thread and the Reddit thread about these uh, this particular change. And uh, basically, they're they're wanting to uh, get away from that 15 dB limit, so lower powered uh, radios can operate at the full 1500 watts. And there's some pretty interesting language within the uh, the filing that they had. They they said that manufacturers and distributors will not be forced to needlessly cripple their amplifiers for sale in the United States, and can be a viable <laughs> in an evolving and vibrant international amplifier market. Uh, like, this is not written by an, an attorney, for sure. <laughs> no, it's written by an enthusiast, very clearly. <laughs> it's like, I want to yeah. turn my one-watt radio into a 1,500-watt radio. So. <laughs> I was uh, trying to remember back to uh, uh, the QSO Today show, and uh, they interviewed uh, W6JL, Donald Huff, and he built a uh, 40 dB gain amplifier for uh, for homebrewing. Of course, you can do that yourself. You don't, you don't need to uh, have a 15 dB limit for homebrew. And he puts in five uh, fifty milliwatts and gets about six hundred watts out. 
do you know what the what the deal is with that as far as um, home brewing being exempt from type acceptance? Yeah, because we don't uh, you don't sell or export your home brewed equipment basically. So as long as you're not a commercial operation, you can do whatever you want basically. It's a it's an experimenter's platform. Right, as long as the output's still under the 1500 PEP limit from the 90, Correct. part 97, yeah. Correct. Yeah, the 1500 is is the limit. And uh, it's it's a pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of people going both ways on this, uh, as always. You know, they're saying, "Oh, the CBs, you can't you can't give this uh, you know five watt rig uh, fifteen hundred watts because somebody will put it on uh, on a CB." But as many people have stated in the in the threads, that that happens anyways. You know, there's a lot of these uh, outside the U.S. market amplifiers that already uh, kind of violate this rule rules only are for the law abiding they uh they mean nothing to the criminal so uh, yeah i think the big issue that a lot of people are are complaining about is is the fact that a lot of these import amplifiers don't have a lot of filtering on them so they end up creating a lot of extra spectral interference right and you know when they're when they have that much gain and you you start with something that's pretty impure to begin with it just gets really nasty right lots of harmonics lots of noise lots of uh unwanted uh signal etc yeah, yeah if, so if they're all built the links appropriately. Are in the show notes for sure. Yep. Sounds good. All right, and you're going to have to tackle this next one too because I'm uh not really up on this. So So yeah, this is a, another interesting one that that uh story that came out uh last week. LNR Precision, uh, I'm sure most people know about LNR Precision. They're a well-known manufacturer of uh QRP transceivers, uh, at least at least recently since uh, the last uh two Daytons. They had the FX4A out. And uh, they also make all the uh, the NFED antennas that are pretty popular with uh, Soto, act, uh, Soto activations. They have a Kickstarter campaign that I think some people are trying to verify this is really them. The Kickstarter campaign is for uh, raising money to up their ability to, uh, to supply these rigs at, a, I would assume, the same cost. It's not really clear. Uh, the, the, the buy-ins are very high. I think the top buy-ins like a 1000 $1,000, and you get a uh, personalized engraved MTR-5B, which is their mountain topper radio that uh, Steve Weber designed. And it, it seemed kind of weird to me uh, to be uh, funding a business this particular way because this is not your normal you know, open source or small source project. This is a commercial entity basically looking for funding that you would normally uh, go to a bank or possibly look for investors. I see value in what they're doing, but as an investor, I would like to see a little bit of maybe a little bit of return or or some type of other investment type of opportunity. It's not like the people who deal in crowdsourcing don't actually have money. It happens. <laughs> I've seen it all the time. Yeah, yeah uh, it just seemed weird, you know, because I mean, you know, it's not like they've ever been known for being a small group and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of people are are, are kind of just stepping in it. But uh, you know you can you can look at the numbers. Uh, I think they only had like fifteen hundred dollars funding so far, or eleven hundred dollars of their fifty thousand dollar goal. That, that sounds like my kind of Kickstarter. The ones that I start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we compared this to some of the other ones we'll we'll talk about later on. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite uh, quite a different uh, level of economics. I've seen a couple of friends of ours who have done Kickstarters, and they've asked for like ten thousand dollars, and they they've topped like two hundred. It's like you know, it's like why can't I be in that kind of project? <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, like you'll you'll get everything you want, and the rest of it's going to go straight into my pocket. But <laughs> yeah, for sure, that's pretty cool. Um, are, is this something? Do you do like soda stuff and that kind of thing? Portable operation? Anything? Well, you know, I have stuff to do it. I uh, have been threatening to do it, and uh, we do a lot of hiking up here in the Beartooth Mountains. And I've been within, gee, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred feet of uh, of uh, several peaks. So <laughs> there's <laughs> definitely a lot of opportunity to do it. Uh, I just uh, I haven't braved it enough to to lug all the, the gear up with me while I'm actually uh, hiking. Cause I, I do a lot of hiking here with the uh, boy scouts. So uh, I'm always packing, you know, food and, you know, shelter and stuff like that. And squeezing the rig down is, is somewhat hard. Cause I, I originally started with an IC 703, which is a little bit on the heavy side. So I've been trying to slowly collect something to, you know, some stuff. So I got a KX one. Now I have uh, a really small 4,000 amp hour battery, uh, so I, I'm starting to collect enough stuff that I can make it worthwhile to, to put it in the pack and, and go ahead and go up in the, the mountains. 
Well, that sounds good. And and you mentioned the KX1. Elecraft seems to be the real uh, sweet spot for the QRPers and the you know portable operation, especially in uh, sort of outlandish areas. Oh yeah, I mean the KX3 is a is a great rig. Um, you know that's what that's what this LNR Precision is uh, is competing with. They have a, a brand new uh, like an LD11, I believe that's the model number. It's a one sixty through six small five watt QRP rig. And uh, seems to have all the bells and whistles. I haven't seen uh, any reviews specifically on it yet, but they had the LD5 out, which is a like a 40 through 15 model, a very similar platform, and that, that was reviewed quite well. I'm, I'm glad we have you on the show because you're like a wealth of information. <laughs> and so far, no voice characterizations, but maybe that's oh, a drawback. No, <laughs> we, we haven't sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet. We'll figure it out. So we also have some adventures in another Kickstarter, Kiwi, SD, uh, Kiwi SDR. This is like the uh, Kickstarter show. Actually, we got one coming up later on too. So <laughs> it's all yeah. about it's all about the fun, the crowdsourcing, the fundraising. Yeah, no, there's there's just so many interesting projects that are that are kicking off right now. I mean, SDR, you know, software defined radio has just just exploded in the past year or two. I would say because uh, especially with the advent of the RTL SDR, which actually started out not even as an SDR, it's just like, oh well, we have these chips that tune to radio frequencies, and wow, look at what we can do with them. And of course, Flex Radio has their high end SDRs and everything, but software defined radio has definitely blown up as a topic. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean it's it's everywhere now, and this one's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I mean, if if you're familiar with going to websdr.org and checking out some of those SDRs that they have hooked up around the world, um, this is kind of like that same premise. This is uh, the device itself is a standalone beagle blown black and a shield on it, an RF shield for doing the RF side receiving and whatnot with uh, with an FPGA on it. Uh, they have uh, two options. You know, they had the Kickstarter went fully funded. They actually overfunded the Kickstarter. What it, what it's unique about this thing is is it, is it has a you know, you know the BeagleBone Black plugs into Ethernet. It has a web server on it running uh, this uh, Open Web RX, which basically is that pan adapter that you that you're familiar with looking at all these these SDR projects, except for it's all on the web and it's very fast and. It's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I started playing with that at the beginning, kind of checking it out. It seems that the antennas that they have hooked up to the three uh, Kiwi units are not the greatest, except for AM, or they must be like right in the city or close to some serious AM stations. But they have three of them located around the uh, around the globe. I believe one's in Canada, one's in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, I can't remember where the other one is. Maybe maybe uh, somewhere over in Europe. It looks like a promising project. You can get the whole kit for two ninety nine, and then you just plug it into your network, and up to four users can actually hit this thing at once. So it's got enough power on its own to actually throw out four pan adapters across the entire spectrum of the of the receiver, which basically goes from you know DC to daylight almost. I, I think it stops somewhere <laughs> around like yeah six meters or something like that. I'm sorry, I so, never heard that phrase before, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah i it just it looks it, it looks kind of cool you know that they they fully funded the project they're, they're taking additional orders that'll get in on this pre-order deal i have nothing to do with it i haven't even bought it but i'm, I'm seriously looking at it just because it's kind of cool <laughs> you know it's got a lot of you the whole open web rx is open source you can go on github you can look at the code uh everything they're trying to do is 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 completely open and and uh, uh sourced so you can get the shield just for six uh, one ninety nine, and then you know the extra hundred bucks for the BeagleBone Black. Right, I thought BeagleBones were like sixty bucks or something like that. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah, I remember they're a little bit more expensive than the others that that are in the same class. Right. All right. Well, the link to that story will be in the show notes, and uh, you can go to SDR to HU. That's actually the web SDR interface, right? SDR to HU. Uh, that that'll get you to to basically everything. You know, the Open Web RX, and also all the receivers, and then the source gives get you to the the actual uh, Kickstarter information. All right. Cool. So check that out, and uh, you can get in on that too, even though the Kickstarter is over. So. All right, so that's uh, some amateur radio stuff for the evening, so we're going to move on to open source. And this first one was kind of cool because I've been looking at OBS Studio, which is the open broadcast system or something like that. 0.14 is still a zero release, but it's actually pretty powerful. I I checked it out on my Mac actually today because it runs on everything. It's cross-platform. 
There are some bug fixes in this one. They have a full uh, NVIDIA NVENC encoder right now in the new version, and uh, it supports Windows, Linux, and like I just said, Mac. Uh, one thing that's not really good for for me, because I was thinking about using it for doing the show with, but it's kind of geared towards video broadcasting. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. Uh, and it has all kinds of options for video broadcasting, but it does audio as well. It performs the stream client functionality as well as doing uh, recording and uh, video fade and stuff like that for multiple cameras and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, OBS is a is a great product. I think we when we were uh, griping about Gary all those episodes ago, we were <laughs> talking about the fact that he doesn't have to spend all the money for that broadcast software that he uses, and uh, you can just go with OBS, but... Yeah, the OBS Studio is 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 really great. I, I I've used the uh, the the regular OBS before Studio came out. I think I had six four seven like point six four seven installed on the on my system, and I've I've done several streams uh, with two cameras and the desktop uh, that I have up on uh, YouTube. You can just search my call sign any four RD and live stream. And uh, you'll see some videos I made of doing the the error a uh sweepstakes contests. The new version is is you know the studio is much quicker. It's uh, the, the 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 transitions between the scenes are are, are pretty uh, pretty seamless. They look good. You know I really think this is this is going to be a competitor to wirecasting and and uh, and all the other uh, commercial platforms i mean this is really looking awesome and i think that that nvidia nvc nc is something that people have been waiting for with all these high-end video cards i don't have that but uh <laughs> <laughs> you know i have intel and uh whatever the max uh, max intel too and okay i have an amd in my uh in my dell so Right, but are you using like commodity webcams for for video input? Oh yeah, yeah. I just have a couple of cheap Logitechs. I mean, the the video quality that I'm producing is 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 not that great. But I was just doing it for fun and trying to see uh, what you can do with a uh, you know very simple setup to to stream a contest. So you said you were streaming it. What was the service you were using to stream? I was going straight to YouTube. So it's all on YouTube. All right, very cool. So if uh, you're wanting to get into uh, some live video broadcasting, OBS Studio is definitely the way to go. And full open source, I didn't check the license, but I assume it's GPL something or other. So, yeah, I think so, or something. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> right. Which is why it's relevant to this t- uh, segment of our show. All right, we also have uh, Opera, a new version of Opera being released. And I haven't used the Opera browser in like ages and ages and ages, but uh, it's still out there. And it looks yeah, like they've either. gone with the full like Mozilla numbering scheme. Yeah, it looks very similar with the Mozilla's in the 40s or something like that, too, aren't they? 44 yeah, or something. 44 or 42 or something. Yeah, it's way up Yeah, there. so the developer version came out with, you know, the VPN service. Everybody's talking about got to have the VPN, you know, to so get on Netflix from out of this country. And, you know, you're always trying to hide your traffic. Well, the developer release came out with a free D- VPN service built in. You can uh, come in from four different countries, Canada, Germany, Netherlands, or in the U.S., and, uh, you know, I hadn't used Opera either since I loaded it on uh, a phone that only did Java. I can't even remember. <laughs> That's probably the last time I installed Opera on anything. So uh, I've used it a little bit uh, trying to test it out. You know, I installed it on all the platforms. It works on every platform, Mac, Linux, Windows. You know, it works really good. The ad blocker works excellent. That's built into it as well. Yeah, the VPN service was was pretty good, and I, I saw that uh, just uh, the other day they announced that they're going to be doubling the uh, server capacity for that. So it's definitely something that they're going to roll out into a beta or the the final release, and uh, it could really uh, change the game for uh, these paid VPN services. So they're actually offering the VPN tunnel service for free. <laughs> yeah, completely free. So I mean, that's that's really what kind of yeah drew my attention to to it. I was like, yeah. Opera, who cares? <laughs> you know, and I saw that. I'm like, well, that that's compelling. Well, it is compelling, but I wonder if it's one of those kind of things like the guy in the back alley with the you know duster full of cocaine who's like, uh, here you get this one for free, and then when you get hooked on it, well, that's when we're really going to stick it to you. Yeah, it could be a carrot and stick type opportunity <laughs> here, but uh, you know, for now, enjoy it as long as it lasts. Right, absolutely. So very cool there, and that's kind of neat news about Opera because that's not something we even really talk about. And I think you put that in there as like open source-ish because what is the license for Opera? You know, I think it's mixed. They have open source components uh, to it, and uh, you know, a lot of it's up on GitHub. 
and I, I could I didn't really dig down deep enough to find to find out. And I kind of was like, well, I don't know where it fits in, but you know, it was so cool. I, I had to had to kind of mention it. It says at least in Wikipedia that it's a freeware license, and that apparently the rendering engine, which was proprietary, was dropped in favor of WebKit, which is open source. So I guess it's largely an open source project at this point. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's definitely WebKit driven. All right, so this is one that you put in there and then wanted to take out, but I thought it was kind of a neat topic, the the idea of the Signal um, client infrastructure for doing secure messaging. And uh, so I guess we'll just throw it in here as a flash topic or, or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. I guess it's the same people that do uh, the WhatsApp encryption as well. This is Whisper Systems. And again, their whole project is on GitHub as well. And uh, the, what they've added was uh, the Signal Desktop Beta, which is a, basically a Google uh, extension or a Chrome extension. Dirty Google uh, Chrome <laughs> extension. <laughs> Chrome extension, so you can hook up your phone's uh, 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 Signal account uh, to your computer, so you can send, receive, and and store. You know, use the messaging service through your computer. But you can only have two linked browsers, so you'll have to pick wisely which two computers you want to put it on. Maybe you can fool it by uh, spoofing or something. I don't know. Uh, since it's a security app, they're probably a little wiser to it than that, but <laughs> you never know. <laughs> uh, if you need secure chat, you can always look at that, and that's that's the desktop client for the secure chat because it's based on Android. I guess they're working on the iOS version. It's not technically out there yet, but if you have right. Android uh, phones and you want to do secure messaging and stuff, you can do that. Now this is... Uh, and it does not run by itself. You have to have the phone app. It does It does not operate on its own. It's not a standalone thing. That is our open source topics for tonight. And since this uh, episode is a lot of you, this will, this will be great. We'll be able to make up our minds about whether we're going to keep you or not. But <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> right. But I'm actually really curious about this. Uh, I uh, heard many people talking about the uh, – and actually, we mentioned a couple of episodes ago about the uh, release of Xenial Xerus, I think is what it is, uh, 1604, the new LTS of Ubuntu. And apparently, you've been playing around with it. So uh, let's hear your take. I have probably installed uh, every flavor of 16.04 that there is just for fun because I enjoy pain and suffering. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so basically I have a 15.10 uh, uh, desktop uh, set up for my shack right now that's all configured, CQR log, trusted, uh, trusted SQL, FL Digi, mainly all through the PPAs like you, you have to because uh, you're not going to get a, a, a current version. But uh, I, I, I selected the the budgie remix because i would seen a lot about the you know talk about the budgie desktop and it really it looked clean it looked cool it looks like it's uh it's an elementary uh os uh killer at least for now because you know elementary os is still back on uh i think 1404 they're on the last lts release and you have to do a lot of kind of patching and stuff like that to get it up to uh some current apps and you have to use a lot of ppas but so i started uh i started Messing with that just on the on the virtual box because I don't want to blow up a you know a working system. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, you know, I installed everything. I installed uh, CQR log out of the out of the repo at first, which I knew was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to run it, and I'm like, yeah, it says it, it doesn't like MySQL 5.7. It's expecting MySQL 5.1, and I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Normally, you just look for a 5x or whatever in the code, and you know, I'm trying to think about you know which version this could possibly be, and come to find out it's uh, 1.90 that's in the repo, and I'm like, well, that's not going to do. And I, I had actually contacted uh, OK2CQR on the on Twitter saying, you know, what's up with this? <laughs> I, it's like I can't even believe they even would ship that package in that uh, repository. It's just it's not even compatible with anything there. Right. So it's like, why include it? It's as soon as you install it, it just it's it just dies. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I added the PPA and I, and I you know installed MariaDB of course and you know ten point one and they still have the outdated Hamlib, which I I knew that was going to be expected. I, I don't see that package changing anytime soon. They are up to three point oh one on Hamlib, which I didn't know. They they did come up a point release on that. So I did that, but in the uh, in the Doing of all of this, uh, you know, I, I looked at where did this budgie come from, and I looked at Solus, and I said, "Well, let me try taking a look at that." And and Solus is pretty interesting uh, little little distro. It kind of reminds me, geez, somewhere between uh, 
probably Debian or you know maybe even Gen two or something like that. But that that really dates me because I used to do Gen two back in the day. <laughs> well, we talked about Solus a few episodes ago, yeah. and uh, it's it's kind of an interesting. Just it's a super glossy, real flashy looking uh, desktop. Yeah. The the whole budgie thing, and that is uh, the the thing that's being integrated, or it has a a respin that's available for the new Ubuntu, but. The only thing that was kind of lacking in Solus was its package support because they, they kind of redid everything from the ground up. So you, you have to sort of be aware of that if you want to try it. But for what they've done, it's actually really nice. What really impressed me on the VM, it boots in like two seconds. I've actually got that kind of work and, you know, I had to do, you know, a little bit of compiling and learning about, you know, what packages I need to start compiling with because you have to get like a system.devel package and you got to get, you know, your auto make, your auto conf and all that, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, it reminded me uh, of the good old days when it was uh, fun to build stuff. <laughs> it's still fun to build stuff. It's it's like going back to your roots and not having everything sort of done for you. It's nice that way. Yeah. So the whole thing that was pushing me to do this was I wanted to try out Cloud Shack, and I, I had seen that online. I didn't put the link in here, but uh, I'm sure you can just Google Cloud Shack, and uh, it it's basically runs off of Node.js and presents you a you know a web web interface to your local shack and it kind of I was kind of thinking about it too when you were talking about uh, writing your uh, I think you mentioned at one of the other shows about writing PHP bindings to uh, to rig control and stuff like that right so this thing is basically the Java script side of that unfortunately I could not find a single Linux installation that actually would install that without error. So uh, I wasn't able to try it out. I did. I did try it out on the uh, the uh, the Windows computer, but uh, <laughs> which which worked. Uh, I was I was highly disappointed in that. So was but the yeah, problem? I want to give it some more look. I want to give a, a deeper look at that because that kind of looks pretty slick. Was the problem you were having with CloudShack or with Node? It well, it was Node's ability to install it and compile it. It, it seems like there's some stuff missing. And I haven't haven't debugged it enough to figure out what's missing, and I'm not familiar enough with Node to uh, to really you know dig it apart and 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 figure out what I'm missing. But it definitely is not happy on on pretty much any Node system I've installed it on. Well, all right, that's unfortunate because CloudShack is one of the topics we came up with. There there were three or four different web based loggers like Lahalo and stuff like that that we talked about a little bit ago, and CloudShack was on the radar, but. Uh, no one has actually, up till now, had a chance to even try and test it out. And apparently, even those of us who have tried and tested it out haven't got very far. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on plugging at that. You know, I, I, I still I still haven't made my decision on what to do about changing uh, my my uh, platform. So I, I've downloaded you know even more since then. I even have Linux Mint on here, seventeen point three. I put uh, you know Jesse on here just to see what the, the the straight Debian flavor feels like, and I was really surprised that those CQR log packages are really really old. I think uh, Jesse has like 1.72 in the repository, and and uh, Linux Mint has like 1.83 in the repository. Well, so, it's almost like so anything. definitely not getting any love from uh, from that particular. Uh, area right but i mean you know how debian is as soon as it's released it's outdated and that's not a debian problem that's just no, a, yeah. an evolution problem so yeah so i mean it's just as easy you just go grab the deb off the uh you know, off the site and and put it in there it just seems that you know at or, this point we should be able to roll these out a little bit better i don't know you, you think so but then there are package maintainers that don't necessarily keep up with the times and there's always uh feeling retro cool and downloading the tarball and building it yourself Oh, yeah, I've, I've done that, too. <laughs> That's what I'm doing on the Solus install. So what about TR Log? I'm part of the Big Sky Contest group. We just started a club here in Montana, and uh, our club president is uh, N9RV, Pat. He's the uh, editor over at uh, the National Contest Journal, and he was talking about single operator, two radio setups, and he told me, uh, yeah, I use, uh, I use Linux for my logging. I'm like, really? So what do you use? And he says, well, I use TR Log. And I had seen it, you know, TR Log is, is a fairly old application from, you know, the Windows days when you had, you had CT Logger and a bunch of other programs and stuff like that. But so this is a fork of the original TR Log uh, just for Linux. And they've done a lot of customization to handle uh, an SO2R setup, uh, specifically with uh, one of the fancy SO2R boxes uh, that I think the Yankee Clipper Contest Club put out. It's, it's a pretty decent logger uh, for contests. And I know I'd, I'd mentioned the other day we were uh, 
I can't remember where we were when we were talking about contest loggers. And I was like, oh, yeah, N1MM Plus. And you're like, no, no, you need a Linux logger. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, okay. So, so yeah, it reminded me that, that Pat was uh, Pat told me about the TR log. So I, I messed around with that. And uh, that works really well. I'm getting ready to do a contest uh, next weekend that I may try uh, using that on. I have to check and see if it does uh, rovers that well because we have the uh, 7QP here next week. All right, sounds good. So uh, it seems like overall you've had a fairly good experience with the new version. What do you? Uh, what are your final thoughts or take on it? Yeah, the final take is I think I'm just going to sit on 1510 for a little bit and do some more experimenting. Uh, I really like the looks of some of these other distros and uh, some of these other uh, windowing environments. So uh, I'm going to see... Uh, See how far I get with Solus and, and maybe uh, look a little bit deeper into Linux Mint. Have you used Linux Mint before? No, I haven't. Wow, you haven't even touched Linux Mint. That's interesting. You'll have a good experience with that, I think. Most of what I've done has always been like Ubuntu or Gentoo. And basically, I used Gentoo until it burned me so bad in production that I went to Ubuntu. And this would be back in the, uh, you know... The version eight days so all the all the gentoo people are going to be screaming arch you should be using arch <laughs> yeah exactly and i tried i tried installing arch i do have a working uh a virtual machine with arch but i didn't get very far on it because i i got distracted with other downloads so i am i am looking at that and i am i'm working on that as well <laughs> all right so you have like 17 computers dedicated to nothing but just experimenting with new os's i'm sure I have a really beefy laptop with a virtual box with about 20 different machines on it right yes, now. Yes, yep. I, I know how that works. <laughs> it's a great way to experiment, no doubt about it. Yeah, so much easier. Oh, I don't like that, or you can snapshot it before you decide to break it. <laughs> yeah, always make sure to do that before you break it, though. That's the important bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we got one more thing that I uh, came across uh, based on some feedback that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but this is the idea of DMR, which is digital mobile radio, and this is something we haven't really talked about, but it's a, I'm not even sure if it's a new technology, but it is a technology. Uh, I assume it's been around a little while. It's uh, digital mobile radio. It's a widely adopted telecommunications standard for a professional mobile radio voice and data communications, and it's an open standard, which is very cool. Developed in the European Telecommunications Standards Institute, or ETSI, which is a not-for-profit. They produce globally applicable standards for uh, information and communications technologies, including fixed mobile radio, converged broadcast, and internet. Uh, the main features of DMR include reliable and immediate individual group and broadcast calls, as well as mobile data services and applications. And one of the principal benefits of DMR is that it uses TDMA, which is a great way to do uh, multiple path uh, communication over a single stream. And the bandwidth on this is only 12.5 kilohertz. And it's, uh, of course, a digital method of, of communication. So quality is good, uh, even in a narrow bandwidth scenario. And I found a couple of resources out there that if you've never heard of DMR and you kind of wanted to get into it, there's actually an online learning course. It's a four-lesson course. Yeah, I guess that's what I want to say. <laughs> um, over at uh, Tate Radio Academy, and the link to that will be in the show notes. And then if you're not really familiar with DMR at all, great introductory PDF, which will, of course, be linked in the show notes as well. Uh, and this came up because it was a comment on episode 166 where we were talking with uh the was it the dmrx you know comments were thrown out about the the technology being based on ambi and proprietary and all of that and codec 2 and how there are open standards for encoding and decoding voice transmission data and all that uh this dmr thing does the same kind of thing but it's all open standard and, and a lot of it is open source as well and I think most of these uh, digital standards all use that ABM chip to at least do the encryption side of that thing. Because like DSTAR uses it. I think even the DSTAR is technically an open open product as well. It's just that one one part of the puzzle that uh, is uh, the part that everybody points to. But I don't think it's any different, at least the way I've had it explained to me, with the Moto Turbo or the DMR, the Fusion and stuff like that. They all they're almost all the manufacturers are using the exact same chip. Right, they're using they're using the the open standards, but the the actual encoding mechanism is done by a proprietary chip. Um, but right. it doesn't necessarily have to be, and that's kind of the important thing. Yeah, uh, or the codec, uh, what the codec two is all just software driven, right? Right, um, but you can of course embed it in the chip if you wanted to. It's just uh, you know someone has to put the technology out there. But I mean, it's an open standard, so you can deploy it however you like. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Have you tried it on HF? Um, I've tried. Free, I've I've used FreeDV. 
um, yeah. which is the Codec 2 based, uh, I assume yeah. DMR or similar to DMR. Yeah. Um, so I've not tried DMR itself. Have you? Uh, no, not, not, not DMR. I've done the free DV, but, uh, I've, I've seen definitely a lot of videos on, on DMR and, and all the, the various, uh, trials on HF of using digital. Yeah. So free DV is actually kind of interesting. The, the thing that confused me the most about it was kind of the waterfall. I mean, the, the way it works is great. And as long as you're tuned to a frequency where you know someone who's operating free DV is going to be, you're fine. Yeah. But it's not like you can use it in the same way you use FLDG to scope out an inbound signal. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a, a little confusing. I mean, that's why they have a uh, you know a set frequency on it, each band for uh, testing that out. I don't know if it's gotten widespread enough that uh, you know it's QRMing folks and stuff like that. But uh, it's definitely an interesting and unique uh, way to to transport your signal, and uh, hopefully you can get a little bit more more distance out of it, like the the digital modes get you. Yeah, I've ha- I've only had a few QSOs on free DV, but the ones I've had have actually been been really good. But again, it's kind of a hit or miss thing because you it's not like with like WSPR or WSJT where the idea is you have propagation over weak signal. Um, you really have to have a good strong you know path to your endpoints there because as soon as you lose any kind of signal clarity, the the channel goes away and you lose decode. So. Unlike with an analog signal, you might be able to pick out what's being said when the band sort of drops out and stuff. That doesn't happen with free DV because as soon as sync is lost, it's just gone. Yeah, uh, I guess that's true, yeah. But, um, you know, as, as long as your signal is reasonably good, it works great. And, and having nice digital quality audio over HF is, is pretty nice. Even though the bandwidth is kind of narrow and everything sounds a little bit robotic. But, I mean, it's, it's there and, it, and the quality is decent, so. Yeah, it's passable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David, it's only passable. <laughs> uh, I'll get some more traction. They have a couple of devices, too, that you can plug into your radio and use, too. I've, I've seen those advertised. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, getting to the hardware side anyway. It's, I guess it's just a matter of getting it, uh, getting it implemented either in a chip or, you know, having a manufacturer buy into it and uh, start deploying radios with it you know maybe we'll see some of these uh chinese handy talkies or other rigs out of the uh the asian market uh come with some of the stuff built in right well they did come out with the sm1000 which is kind of like free dv in a box so i mean and that sort of thing is out there um i know the initial setup for free dv can be a little confusing to some people because you generally have to have two audio cards yeah you, have, right, you yeah. have to have the inbound processor and then the outbound processor um and there the two shall meet uh but if you have if you have the box the s m one thousand does everything for you so yeah most people have a signal link right so uh <laughs> or you something have a, yeah you right. have a second sound card <laughs> right absolutely if i mean it can be any two sound cards you can be the one in your computer and the external one you know if you have a tiger um a signal link or, or a Tigertronics, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah um, so. Or um, like a Microham or, or something like that. Yeah, anything that has a, a sound card in it will work. So Yeah, and all those fancier, newer rigs with the built-in sound cards will also work. Yep. So, yeah, yeah try it out. It's awesome. And there's a lot of uh, chit-chat in the chat room, which is great, because that's what a chat room is for. Uh, Petra was <laughs> talking about uh, Fusion, uh, the Yezu Fusion being impressive, uh, no difference between analog FM and digital fusion, even on narrowband. Uh, Yezu a little late to the game. Well, okay, but better na- late than never, I suppose. If you know of a digital repeater with fusion, you gotta try it. I don't have any of the gear, or, or I don't think there's even a repeater out here in Montana. <laughs> well, there's gotta be one somewhere. Well, we have analog, and I believe there's a D-Star in town, but, uh, yeah, I haven't tried any of that stuff. Well, I know my, I was mentioning in the last episode that my old ham radio club, which is in Arista County, Maine, which is in the middle of nowhere, they just got a DR1X. I'm going to try and get them to hook up with the Northwest Digital products so they can do D-Star and Fusion and all that stuff. That'd be great. Yeah, that sounds great. And then I'll have to tell them what D-Star and Fusion are. Because <laughs> 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 they bought in on the on the repeater, and you know, because it was cheap and everything, and Yezu was just trying to give them away, basically. But I'm not sure they're really using it. I'm pretty sure they're just using analog FM. So, oh yeah, that's the deal. They they get the repeater for like 500 bucks, right? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard about that. I was, I was just listening to something where they have a couple things you can plug into it. I guess that's what you're talking about, that you can extend it to D-Star and a couple other items. Right. That was the Northwest Digital Radio thing we yeah. talked about yep, in yeah. episode 166. So Yeah, cool. Uh, the one that wasn't jittery. 
The one that wasn't jittery. Yeah, right. 166. <laughs> I think I had a note here about 166 on here. What the what the heck did I write down? Oh, and you guys were talking about opt directory. Oh, the opt directory, yes. Yeah, yeah. And and you'd mentioned that that you could just wipe away the opt directory when you want to redo your stuff and well, I, was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Wait, doesn't Google put all their stuff there? Maybe that's why you wanted to get rid of that opt directory." <laughs> <laughs> on every distro, I think uh, they use the opt directory for that. Uh, I don't know. I installed Google Chrome on my Debian system, and it's in user bin. So really, yep. really, yeah, it, it does definitely stuff some stuff there because I have it on a couple of systems here, and that's in the opt directory. Okay, so there's a caveat there. You should be a little careful about wiping out your opt directory <laughs> entirely. But you know. yeah, when I when I do uh, compiling in there, I always do the prefix uh, slash opt slash you know like hamlib. So I know it's isolated to a directory, and then I'll uh, actually add the uh, path into my bash RC, and that way right. I can uh, wipe that stuff out whenever I want. Well, generally speaking, though, the prefix excludes the directory that includes the software package itself. So if you specify opt, it usually goes into hamlive or CQR log or whatever the thing is. It, it kind of appends that by default. It doesn't right. just go into opt. Right, yeah, it makes the the user whatever you know the bin the the source and well, it's it needs, like yeah. if I'm I'm saying if you if you're doing a CQR log for example and you do prefix equals opt, um, it's, oh, it's, okay, it's not going to be an opt bin. It's going to be an opt CQR log bin. It it prepends the name of the software package. Generally speaking, I was experiencing a couple different things, but. Who knows? I'll so, have to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there are different prefix options because in, in a lot of cases there's like prefix and then there's like libdir. Exact prefix. And, yeah, ex, exact prefix, yeah. lib prefix and stuff like that. So you have to be kind of careful about that too. Again, that was a simple tutorial, not <laughs> an in-depth, all-inclusive tutorial. So yeah, your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful out there, kids. Yeah, I remember the Sun OS boxes were all, everything was an op that you installed outside of the, the, the Sun package system. Right. And it's still a useful uh, diversion technique. Yeah, instead so, of user local. Instead of user local, yeah. I mean, I, they both work. It's just, you know, be careful out there. <laughs> <laughs> Time for some music, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's time for some music. So this one actually came by way of Matthew, Kilo Delta 9, Bravo Whiskey, Juliet, heard this song on the Sunday Morning Linux review and said, we should play it over here. And I was like, uh, so I took a listen to it, and it's actually really good. It's um, rock, sort of hard rock. Instrumental. Instrumental, yeah, which is nice. Sometimes you don't need vocals. Yeah, no, it was really, it was, I enjoyed it. I'm sure everybody else will like it, too. Right. So this is a, a track called It's Me. Uh, the, the gentleman's name is Roma Agishev. It came from the album Alibi. This actually was released about six years ago, but uh, it's very good. It runs about four minutes, and uh, I'm going to queue it up here. We'll play it, and then we'll do some other stuff.
kind of went away quick, but there you go. Oh, yeah. oh not the next song. <laughs> that one's probably pretty good, too. <laughs> Save uh, that one for next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that one next week or something. Anyway, It's Me by Roma Agishev or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm butchering my Russian from the album Alibi back in 2010. So thanks, Matthew, for that suggestion, and thanks uh, to the Sunday Morning Linux Review for playing that one. So that's cool. I didn't, I, I've never actually listened to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. I, I guess I need to do that. I don't think I've listened to that one either. I've got multiple ones on my pod device here but but that that one not being it <laughs> that one not being it i was like oh, i listen to a lot of podcasts but uh don't see that one on here we'll have to add it yep definitely so all right so moving on we've got some announcements and some feedback and the first one is of course our generosity campaign for hamvention 2016 this is the second of may as we're recording Hamvention is coming up like real soon now. That would be in uh, 18 days or so. If you have any mind at all to uh, send some money to us so we can be at the Dayton Hamvention, we would really appreciate it if you would do that. And like real soon now, because <laughs> uh, Hamvention is like real soon now. I uh, guess I can just go ahead and let this out of the bag now. We will be there regardless. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, Rich. Welcome back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but we, we worked with the folks at Hamvention. They were able to give us a, a good deal on an inside booth. So we will be in East Hall 625, EH 625. Uh, we will be there. And for those of you who have been to Hamvention before, you'll know that we'll be right across from the scooter round booth. Uh, so all those people picking up their scooters, um, we'll be right there across from them. I heard your buddy's going to be there. My buddy? Who's my buddy? Adam Curry. <laughs> oh, that. I, I, you know what? You know how? You know what I think of Adam Curry? I didn't even know his call sign was. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He used to have like a KF, uh, KFSLN or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, that one. I didn't know he actually uh, went to K5ACC. Yeah, I think he uh, yeah turned in for a vanity just, uh, I don't know, not too long ago. But uh, yeah, I heard on the, sh- the sh- show this weekend that uh, he's thinking about definitely going. So, he's thinking about definitely going. So, which of those is true? <laughs> That's he'll probably go. You know, he's kind of a. Uh, he'll probably be in audio alley though, along with all the other folks like Bob Heil and all them. So, yeah, well, keep an eye out for him. You can set him straight. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting talk. I think. I think he'd appreciate a good conversation. I, I I would appreciate a good conversation. Anyway, I'm sure he doesn't remember four years ago or whatever it was that that happened. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool. So anyway, uh, if you've got a few bucks in your pocket, we could certainly use it. Um, even though we've already, uh, we, we got enough in donations to actually secure the booth and everything. But of course, there are a lot more, uh, expenses involved with going to Hamvention than, than just the booth rent. So, uh, anything you can do would be great. Uh, the link to the generosity campaign will be in the show notes and the generosity campaign will, of course, be running right up until Hamvention. So. You found this one since we were uh, like doing an entire Kickstarter episode. You can talk about the Lime SDR as well, which is actually kind of cool. I checked this one out. Yeah, the Lime SDR. They're already up to almost one hundred twenty thousand dollars of a of a five hundred thousand dollar goal. Wow, that's huge. It is um, huge. Yeah, <laughs> this is a, another another SDR, but it's it's a little different. It's a here's here's what they say. It's a low cost open source apps enabled software defined radio platform. Uh, this thing can be set up to send and receive, you know, UT, UMTS, LTE, GSM, LoRa, Bluetooth, Zigbee, RFID, and digital broadcasting. So I'm assuming you can set up, uh, you know, a fake, uh, fake phone tower for the thing and uh, start uh, cracking people's phones. So this is a really great. Uh, <laughs> you can get into it for, uh, I believe, their entry level price is two ninety nine. And uh, it looked, it looked kind of interesting because it's it's fairly new and it's it's another one of these products with a really high end uh, a really high end uh, FPGA doing all the uh, decode and coding, and uh, it, they're talking about the uh, it's the first SDR to integrate with Snappy Ubuntu Core. It looks like uh, the project has a lot of traction. Uh, they're twenty four percent funded and they got forty nine days left. So uh, in a final bit of uh, commentary, we have. Uh comment from bruce ve2gzi on episode number 166 and this was the comment that sort of led to my reference of dmr he said uh, well if you use mmdvm board you can turn your dr1x into a dmr or a dstar repeater and yeah both open source hardware and software uh the link to that is mmdvm.blogspot.ca and uh that mmdvm is uh 
multi-mode digital voice modem available, and it integrates with the DR1X, and that is uh, truly open, both hardware and software. So there are lots of options out there for doing digital voice uh, across uh, multiple platforms, and especially with the new Yezu DR1X, they they have got a total coup going on with that uh, repeater project where they're, they're they're just like loading the entire ham radio community up with these DR1X repeaters. They're going to be everywhere. And since they integrate with everything, uh, Yezu has definitely made a great play uh, for themselves uh, in the digital voice market. So, Yeah, I think ICOM had a similar campaign going on when they were trying to push uh, more D-Star out because I believe that's how our club ended up with a, uh, a, D-Star, or, yeah, a D-Star repeater in town. Quick yeah, in great. the chat room is asking about, has anybody looked at DV4 Mini? I have not. So, I have not either. I think I've seen something on it, but I, I couldn't recall. It's a USB stick, D-Star DMR, C4FM, and P25. Requires a PC with Windows 7, 8.110, or Linux. Can turn an, any computer into a hotspot. Yeah, Linux on a PC or an ARM computer like a Raspberry, Banana Pi, or Odroid. We need to look at this more and talk about it later. Well, the webpage that I'm looking at says the DV4 Mini 2-meter VHF 149. Um, yeah. VHF USB stick containing two, uh, 2M data transceiver works with D-Star, DMR, Fusion, APCO25, DPMR, and other digital modes which are based on GMSK, 2FSK, or 4FSK. Well, the DV4 mini folks will be, uh, will be there at Dayton according to, uh, Kliwik. Oh, very good. If you want the VHF version, you can get it for about a hundred and, 65 and if you want the uhf version you can get it for about 145 excellent all right very cool lots of great information there that we didn't even know was coming out but uh thanks to bruce for the feedback ve2gzi and by the way the mmdvm thing that he mentioned is his project he's the one that creates it so awesome so he's uh got self-interest in that so anyway there you go there's a plug for you all right, and I see that we can move on now because there is actually a recipe in Cheryl's Recipe Corner. The recipe I picked today is because um, I decorate cakes by day, and Russ has recently turned on me. He wants no more cake. He wants no more buttercream or anything else being served to him for any reason at any time. Right. Right. But we are big fans of Napoleon's. There's only one place that we know of locally that has them, and it's iffy if we can ever get one. So I found this recipe for Napoleons. It's a quick and easy recipe. It requires uh, some puff pastry that you can buy in the freezer department, some instant pudding, some milk, some frozen whipped topping, otherwise known as Cool Whip in the U.S., some powdered sugar or confectioner sugar, and some unsweetened cocoa that you mix into that confectioner sugar if you want a chocolate drizzle on it. Bake your puff pastry, mix up the pudding. Once the pastry is done and cool, put some pudding in it, and poof, you have Napoleons. And I guarantee you'll be very happy, because this is something that looks very fancy, but doesn't take very long. So, uh, <laughs> And we don't have uh, cake on the show, but we do have a social media roundup. So Do we? We do. All right. Let's do it. And okay. I can't wait till you get to the last one. <laughs> Uh, I think I've already figured out the last one. So. <laughs> this week, for donations and subscriptions, we have Jonas Rulo, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Harrison Kyle, Scott Pettigrew, Bob Yerke, Paul Griffith, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, John Spriggs, Robert Halliday, Ben Schram, Michael Aiello, John Clark, Rob Branch Dash, Edward Donnelly, Donald Gever, Alan Wilson, Stephen Saner, Dylan Engel, Jason Marinero, Ronald Nesler, James Blocker, Doug Redder, Michael Lasky, Darren King, Petro Kartsakis, and I, he's in the chat room. I, I'm sure he's... He's already said you do a wonderful job. I do job a wonderful job. Okay, great. Sure. Donna Farron, Gary Horlick, and some guy named Bill. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I have no idea who that is. Just, I don't know. We got, a, we got a donation from some guy named Bill. So, right. yeah, I hate when those people don't leave last names. Yeah, it's a, a naughty mouse. Oh, there you go. <laughs> For Facebook, we have Torsten Herrenberg and Robert Thomas. For Google+, Plus, we have Torsten Herrenberg. On Twitter, t- 
Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Twitter. Tw- Twitter's like uh, Flickr and Grinder or something. Yeah. Tweaker. <laughs> Tweaker, yeah, there you go. Great. <laughs> On Twitter, we have Morgan261, WWE, FAN, DW1, Ham Radio 360, HB. Yeah, HB9. Ham Radio 360, that's the new Kale. That's faux time, is, that's what that's become. Right. So there you go. HB9EHO. We, we were listened to by someone who has an HB9 call. So, real quick, where's HB9? Error. Honduras or something, isn't it? Come on, where, where are my peeps? Who's, who's going to tell me where HB9 is before I Google it? Well, hurry, up, <laughs> hurry up and Google it, okay? Uh, Switzerland. Switzerland, all right. And you were totally wrong. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking of like Hotel Charlie or something like right. that. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, Journeyman 1959, Repair Techie 1, Print Ol Nop T. Probably. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I have it no sounds idea. Indian to me. Print Ol Nop T. Yeah, and it's probably not, but who knows. Uh, and VF Banatoli. I'm going to guess that's actually VFB Anatoly. That sounds right. kind of like a Russian thing, but right. I'm just guessing because I could guessing. be completely yeah, I, wrong. Yeah. I, I never guess on Twitter because you know what my handle is. So. <laughs> right. Anyway, <laughs> nobody joined us on YouTube. And Wally Coker joined us on our mailing list. And we didn't have merchandise sales. Boo. <laughs> Was that a boo or a moo? I- it's a m-e-w petro says hi mom i'm pretty sure she's not listening petro (laughs) and if she is wow we have to say hi to her next time my kind of mom yeah no joke there you go (laughs) that means i can push the outro button which uh has a sound sort of like that wow yeah amazing and I can read this stuff. It says, uh, become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the ham shop at an upcoming ham fest or Linux fest near you. We also love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. You can visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast on Freenode, and subscribe to us on our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts can be purchased at cafepress.com slash LHS Podcast. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. Listen to us every other Monday night live at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0100 Zulu time in the winter and 0200 Zulu time in the summer. I think I actually have that backwards, but anyway, you'll figure it out. <laughs> our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website, and our website is lhspodcast.info for everything you ever want to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you. So, thanks for tuning in to... Episode number 168 of the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast. I'm Russ K5TUX, and that's Cheryl across the desk from me. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we are in Studio 3D in Southwest Missouri, and from all the way out in Montana, we have Bill in E4RD. Have a good evening. And we will catch you all in a couple of weeks' time. Bye-bye now.
done. Lost my place.